continue to pray uh, for people in our church family who are recovering, uh, people who have been ill or in hospital lately. Lord, I okay, great. Uh, so this week, we are continuing on with our series about learning from Jesus. Last week, we talked some about this, uh, and where Jesus said, love your enemies, and we talked about kind of a way to approach that. He talked about, Jesus said, love your enemies and, and give generously. This upside-down way of following him, this upside-down way of the kingdom and how difficult it is. We talked about how you, Jesus talked about uh, praying for those who have mistreated you, for blessing them, asking God to bless them, for doing good to them, and, and, and ultimately loving them, even people who feel difficult or frustrating for you. And he talked about to you about giving without expectation of repayment. This morning, uh, we are in continuation of that same style of teaching, this call to be merciful and to be generous. I'm amazed by the simplicity of this teaching. That uh, I think about some passages in the Bible, especially Paul's letter, and there's elaborate and, and sometimes, for me, quite complicated theological things that Paul is trying to describe. And yet I read these sayings of Jesus, and I'm amazed by how simple the saying is, but how deep and how complicated and how, um, how broadly it applies to our lives. I also um, was thinking some about this, about just this short message uh, that, we were, that I've been studying this week. Uh, if you, uh, I will get to it in a moment here, but from chapter six of Luke, and how important it is in our society right now, how needed it is for our culture, but especially for the church to live this way right now. It's exactly what the world needs. Let me show you what I mean. If you would, please, uh, if you have your Bibles, if you want to open to chapter 6, verse 36. Also, it's in the, the bulletin as well, or the sermon guide. If you want to, you can read along, or you can just listen to the words. Jesus is um, teaching a group of disciples, and he says, Be merciful, actually I'll go, Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I want to kind of break this passage down a bit um, and talk about it. So, um, just to show you the, the craftsmanship, the, the way that Jesus says this, not only is it powerful short statements, but they're actually, the way he says it uh, helps us see some of the meaning or, or draw additional meaning out of it. So it's written in two parts. This first, this first section is about being merciful. And um, it's stated, it's actually kind of a, a package, if you will. So there's two parts at the beginning at the end to be merciful just as your father is merciful and forgive and you will be forgiven. This is stating it positively. Here's Jesus saying, here's what I want you to do. Then there's also the section in the middle where he says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. The center part is stated negatively. So the, the beginning and the end say, here's what I want you to do. And the middle says, and don't do it this way. All right, don't do this. Jesus is working uh, to make sure that we get the point here. So let's start with the positive part. Stated positively, this is, Jesus is saying this at the beginning and at the end, to be merciful and to forgive. It shows us first the importance. The first thing you hear is mercy. The last thing you hear is forgive. 
The text says to be merciful here. Now, I was thinking about this this week. The the word behind it um, can mean to to be. It can also mean to become. Now, to read the text, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of difference. Any difference it might be would be subtle. But I actually prefer the idea of become merciful. The idea of being merciful, so be merciful, for me, and I don't know about you, but it kind of makes me think I have to try. Try to be merciful. Versus the idea of become merciful, to me, it begins to speak of the idea of training. It's something that we practice, something that we become over time. And so I like that, and I was, it, it makes me think of Dallas Willard, who wrote the book, uh, um, um, oh darn, I just slipped my mind. Um, who wrote a book on discipleship and then spiritual disciplines. It was called The the Spirit of the Disciplines. And it was talking about about how when we try to do the right thing, we sometimes fail or sometimes we get it right and it goes well and we pat ourselves on the back or sometimes we fail and then we go in this downward spiral. And he talked about faith or spiritual disciplines uh, in terms of training for us to become more like Jesus. And I've heard people use the analogy of a marathon. You know, it's, it's a very difficult thing to try and run a marathon, to just decide one day you're going to try to run a marathon or to try every day to run a marathon. It's different than if you train to run a marathon. If you take weeks or even months to train, to practice, to, to grow in your ability to run, to become a marathoner rather than someone who tries to run marathons, if you hear that difference. I think there's some similarities with discipleship. There's a difference between trying to be a good Christian versus training to be a faithful disciple. And I hear Jesus when he says, uh, when I see him, or when I read him here saying, be merciful, I hear the, understand, the underlying text or the underlying idea of become merciful as your father in heaven is merciful. Now this is the part where it's the mercy is based on God, not on us. That's encouraging for me. Because first of all, um, Jesus is saying, be merciful like God. So uh, just as your father is merciful. So in one sense, God is, uh, is our role model for mercy. Um, and thinking about how God is merciful, especially through his son, our Lord Jesus, uh, and has saved us through grace, how God's mercy how God demonstrates what mercy looks like. And we can look at God and understand mercy and then replicate that or or duplicate that in our lives to be merciful to others. I was thinking some about my sons, about Corbin and Shalem and how they spend time with me watching what I do. And some of it they pick up. Some of it they said, I don't know if I want to do it the way my dad does it. But they learn about how to act in the world by watching me. And they do that mainly by spending time with me. Any of you who have kids uh, know that what we tell them to do accounts for about this much, and what they see us do is about this. I mean, it's much more. The kids act much more like we do than they do what we tell them to do. So they, they understand, or I am able to model what it looks like to live uh, in this life. I, I model that for them as much more effective. But they, they have to spend time with me to see that model. And I was thinking about this week that if we want to copy God, if we want to be merciful just as our Father in heaven is merciful, then we need to spend time with him to see what his mercy is like. Because I think that's one thing that people get, get wrong a lot in our culture. That there are many people who see uh, our Father in heaven as this, this angry, 
police officer in the sky who's waiting to just zap people for doing things wrong. And nothing could be further from the truth that God is amazingly gracious, so gracious that he sent his son to save us. And so when you spend time with God, you begin seeing who God is, who really is, not these cartoonish pictures that are portrayed in our culture. So, first of all, we, need to, we want God as something um, uh, as, as a model for us, but also that this text here, this to be merciful just as your Father is merciful, is a reminder as well. So not only is God our model, but it's also a reminder of how God has been merciful in our lives already. And just think about the things that you have done in your life, things that you regret, things that we wish we could go back and change, things that are shameful, things that are embarrassing, things that break our heart, and realize that God has forgiven that. Through Jesus, those things have been forgiven by his grace. And when we begin realizing that, we begin realizing how much we have been forgiven, how merciful God has been with us, that begins to make us more merciful. I think of this idea that, that the grace of God, his grace in our life, wells up grace in us to share with others. The more we reflect on how gracious God has been with us, the more gracious we will be with other people. These clothing, closing words here at the bottom here, they say forgive. And this is pretty straightforward. Um, it's the and you will be forgiven part that is challenging for me. It's a bit troubling even. Is God's forgiveness based on our ability to forgive? Is that somehow dependent? So is it the opposite true? If you don't forgive, will you not be forgiven? Now, I think that Jesus is speaking somewhat in hyperbole here or saying this in a very stark and simplified way to get our attention, to make a point. Um, I don't think that our um, ability to forgive people is our ticket, so to speak. It's, it's not that Jesus, that, not that God said, or, or Jesus said, you know, I've died that you might have life as long as you forgive people. That's, there was no condition. He just said, I've died that you might have life. It's through his cross that we've been saved. But I would say that our ability to forgive people, to be merciful, to be uh, forgiving, I think it is indicative of the nature of our faith. So, if we have trouble forgiving people, then I would say we have some growing to do in our faith. That, not that we are somehow uh, prohibited from following Jesus, but that there is something undeveloped in us. If we are unmerciful or unforgiving, to me, that suggests that we have something going on deeper in our faith. This growing in forgiveness, this growing in mercy, is part of um, growing in faith. And it's part of our sanctification of becoming more like Jesus. If we fail to forgive, then I would say there's evidence that there is something undeveloped in our faith. So, it is important that we forgive, and I think that the more we forgive, I think the more pleased God is with us. All right, so we've covered this, if I was thinking about this week, as this is the candy shell of the M&M. This is the, the beginning and the end. Now we're going to get into the middle part here. Where it's a similar conditional sense. It says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Now, 
The don't condemn part felt easier to me. I suspect maybe similarly for you as well. That I don't know how many of you ever feel tempted to condemn people, but it doesn't really occur to me very often. I don't think to myself, I hope that person goes to hell. Or I hope that person goes to hell forever. Like I'm never, I can't think of a time where I've really ever been that angry with someone. Now, there are definitely times when I've been angry with people, but, con- but condemning them is not really a temptation. I, I suspect most of you don't have that same temptation. I mean, there are people who definitely upset you, I'm sure, or frustrate you, but I don't know that we have an issue with condemning. Um, it is, though, it's the judging part that I think for most of the church, including me, that we need help with. Now, the word judging here, the Greek word is, is krino, um, Jesus is saying, do not judge, and the, the Greek word is krino, and in Hebrew, it's mishpat, but those are things you don't need to know so much as that, um, is that it uh, means like to cut, or to judge, or to evaluate, and the trouble is this, this text right here, this passage, do not judge and you will not be judged, um, it's frustrating for me. It's like the one Bible verse that pretty much every non-Christian has memorized just so they can tell you to leave them alone when you start talking about uh, life or faith. Um, but our culture often takes this passage and abuses it. Both non-Christians as well as, as, well as us as Christians have abused it. Now, because what people often say is, you know, we'll say, well, what you're doing isn't really right. And someone will say, well, Judge, do not judge and you will not be judged. And essentially, what they're not, they're not what they're saying is that you have a problem with judging. They're saying, I want you to leave me alone. I don't care about your opinion in my life. And so this is a, this is a sort of using the Bible against a person <laughs> to say, I don't care what you think, buzz off. All right? So um, the trouble is our culture uses this text um, as a way to, to ward off or to defend against correction. What Jesus is saying here um, is that it's, he doesn't want us to condemn people. In, in English, this idea of judging, uh, we get the word judge, and, and in English, judge can mean to discern between things or to look at something and evaluate it. And it could be good or it could be bad. I'm judging whether it's good or bad. For, for in English, it's typically kind of a, it's a neutral word that could be positive or negative. But typically, in Scripture, uh, judging, krino or mishpat, that's often used in terms of condemning, to make a judgment against it. So typically, so when Jesus is saying here, do not judge, he's saying do not judge against people. All right? Um, I think what, I want to say this, that I don't think Jesus here is saying, when he says do not judge, I don't think he's saying do not evaluate or do not look honestly at, at situations in people's lives. I mean, Paul, throughout the New Testament letters, he's constantly saying, or often saying, correct one another. Rebuke each other, even, when someone is in error. And I, those of you who have families, you know that there are times when you want to speak honestly, especially with someone you care about, when you say, you know, this thing that you're doing, it's not good for you. It's not healthy for you. Even as Christians, we might say, what you're doing it's, it's sinful. It's not consistent with what we know how God has taught us to live. For example, if you saw someone going around judging people, condemning people all the time, it would be right, it would be good for us to say, you know, Jesus said that we should not condemn other people. That's 
important for us to do to help each other. Jesus, uh, Paul talked about this, about speaking the truth in love, to be honest, but to say it in a loving way. Sometimes people love to be honest, and they're not very loving. And there are other people who love to be uh, loving, but so they never say anything honest. They just let people go on, even, knowing that, even though they're doing something they know is dangerous or, or hurtful to them. So Jesus says, do not judge. And we've kind of begun to unpack what that means. Um, but there's some bigger reasons why we shouldn't do this. One of them is because only God has the authority to condemn. God is the only one who can actually do it. We can't. I mean, we can say I condemn you, but we can't actually do it. Not only that, but God is the only one who sees clearly. As he looks uh, in the whole of our lives, the motives that we have, the situations that are bringing about, he's the only one who sees clearly. We, on the other hand, have sin-clouded vision. We see things through our own motives, through our own biases, and we can look at someone's situation and judge incorrectly about what's going on. Not only that, but we still wrestle with sin in our own lives. Um, And this is something that is difficult, and I think something that maybe happened in Jesus' day, especially with Pharisees, the, the teachers of the law, is that we can feed our own pride or try to, to, to feed our pride by minimizing our sin. Well, we don't really do anything that bad. Well, we do a few things, but they're not that bad. And maximizing or, or magnifying the sin of others. Well, look at that little speck in their eye. What horrible people they are for doing that. Meanwhile, we have all of our own issues that we refuse to look at. Not only that, but we can, even Christians have become very clever at condemning others with fake humility. They'll say something like, well, I know I'm not supposed to be gossiping, but did you hear what so-and-so did? Or they'll say, I know we're not supposed to judge, but did you know this horrible thing that, that they did? This is all sinful. In our brokenness, in our sinfulness, we feel this, this desire to um, feed our pride, to protect our pride, to make ourselves feel better. And one of the ways that we've learned, even when we were little, is that one of the ways that we think we can make ourselves feel better is by running other people down, by judging them or by condemning them. Not only this, so this, t- this text here that Jesus says, this, these words, they protect us from condemning people here on earth um, because we, you know, we have no authority to condemn them eternally. And it protects us from condemning people here in our earthly time um, because one, first of all, only God has the right to do it. Not only that, but we'd often get it wrong because of our biases or even our own sinfulness. And I was thinking about it. Uh, imagine if you saw someone who was homeless, for example, and you were to judge them and saying, what a lazy bum. You know, they, they're so evil. What, an, what a lazy bum. Now, what we... we we might actually be right in that that person might be really lazy and just doesn't want to work, which I hear people say that often about people who are, who are homeless. They're just lazy. They don't want to work. That might be true in some. I have to admit that. I, I don't know too many of people I've met like that, but I think there are some. But there are also people who are homeless for a myriad, like hundreds of other reasons, maybe because of mental illness, maybe because of addiction. I mean, there are people I know of who have 
they've, they've become homeless because they had to spend their whole life savings to, to put their uh, spouse in, in care or their mother or their, their parent in care. And they end up like they have to sell their home and everything. That there's lots of different reasons, even really good reasons, why a person might be homeless. And so for us to judge people based on the five-second impression we get is really dangerous and can be completely wrong. And so it's good for us not to judge. As a church, we must be always ready to accept people back in. So as Jesus talks about to be merciful um, and to forgive, that we keep, we're always ready. So if someone does something in our church family that's sinful or that's even insulting or sinful to us directly, that it's okay to speak honestly about that to say like what you've done was what you've done is wrong or what you've done to me has hurt and it's wrong but the moment they say forgive me or lord please forgive me that we are merciful and forgiving and welcome them back in because we would want the same for us the world desperately needs us to do this right now the church you you are god's plan a for redemption of this world I don't know of a plan B. I haven't heard of one yet. We are God's plan for redeeming this world through his, Lord, through his son, our Lord Jesus. So, uh, judgment right now is rampant in our culture. I mean, we see it all over the place. People condemning one another for something that they've said online. Or, um, I don't know if I've, if I've said, if I've told this story. Forgive me if I have. Um, but, I was talking with a person who's not a part of our church who was um, having lunch with a friend and um, it came up that the, the person had, had gotten their first vaccine shot. That person that they had been friends with, it seemed like for a long time as they described it, said they couldn't believe it, got up and left, judging them, condemning them. Our culture needs us to live graciously with each other especially, but also graciously with our community around it to model that, to be merciful. We're meant to be light on a hill. We're meant to be kingdom people, living as resident aliens here, as foreign nationals living in Canada, citizens of God's kingdom who happen to live here. Our world needs us to lead the way with forgiveness and mercy. Even in Canadian culture, which has a pretty global reputation for very, being very kind and polite, even here, we need the church to lead with mercy and forgiveness. Now, this kind of gathers up Jesus' main point, to be merciful and to forgive people. Then he says this next section here. And he says, it will be give, oh, sorry, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over into your lap. Uh, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And again, Jesus is touching here again on generosity. Last Sunday, these, these verses right here at the beginning of, the, of Jesus' Sermon on the Plateau, there's a couple places where Jesus talks about generosity. He talks about giving without expecting to receive. And right here he's talking about giving, about giving generously. And this is a, when you think about this, when we look like at Jesus' culture, this is a powerful image. It's, it's the image of going to the market where you would buy grain. Now, most of us don't really do that much anymore. Um, we go to the grocery store, but in the ancient world, you would go to a marketplace and you'd go to the grain booth to buy grain, and 
you would go there and you would pay for the grain. And he's saying, imagine that you pay your fair wage or fair money for the grain. And instead of like trying to cheat you out of grain, imagine if the, the person who was selling it gave you an overflowing measure. If they took a good measure, heaped it on top of your, of your bag, and they stuffed it down as much as they could, and then they shook it together to get all the empty space shook it out. Not only that, and they kept going until it was overflowing into your lap. This is an image of God's provision for us, of God's generosity towards us. This overflowing blessing in our lap. Now it's interesting because Jesus isn't really specific about what we should give. Now, most of us, and I'm right there with you, assume that he's talking about our money. We should give money to stuff. We should give our treasure to things. And I think that's a good start. Um, I think that's helpful in lots of places. But I also think he's saying, or I I also think it would be good to include um, that we should give our time, that it's important that we give time to people there, especially in relationships with our friends or our family or our church family, that relationship time with people is one of the most valuable things we can give. Or even talents, like your abilities, whether that's uh, here in the church or if that's in our community, of sharing the talents you have, whether you're great at building stuff or making things, or you have an amazing ability with art, that we would give generously. And similarly, with that, I started wondering, what would God repay with? So if we, like for example, if we donate lots of our treasure to things, will God just replace it with other treasure? Maybe, uh, and, and from my experience, often he will provide for us in ways that we don't expect. Um, but I'm also wondering if this is like the lowest gift, you know, that we give money and get money back. Is that the lowest gift? I'm wondering if we were to bless people, how much more value would be to have the friendship of people that we've helped or even loyalty from people who say, you know what, I remember that time when I needed help and you you came and you helped me pay my bill or, or you loaned me so that I could pay off this thing. I will never forget that. And if you ever need anything, just let me know. Loyalty. That's another amazing gift. Or even just the, the, the joy of helping someone who really needs help. I think about this one is the, this, maybe the highest gift would be this overflowing measure would be God's delight. That when we give and we help people, when we are generous with people, that we receive God's overflowing delight in us. I was thinking about it this week about a friend I know who's retired yet still does some odd jobs and works and gets paid pretty well. And he says, yeah, I just, the money I make now, I use it for a mission. I mean, I have what I need and so any extra money. And, and I think about that person is giving generously and I don't think they're looking for money back. You know? That they are much more excited about the, the thing that God does with it, the way God uses it to bless people or to grow his kingdom, that that is more rewarding. That's the overflowing blessing. And when he says about, you know, that you'll be repaid overflowing, you know, possibly in this life, maybe even, you know, you give one day and the next day God provides miraculously, or it could be years later. It could even be like, eternally in God's kingdom when you receive that payment back and, and delight uh, from God's face when you see him uh, in his kingdom. 
So Jesus is saying, you know, give and it will be given to you. And again, it's, it's that conditional statement. And so I struggle with this personally. Uh, I am a very frugal person. <laughs> um, some people might say stingy. Um, I still prefer frugal, but um, I don't have an ambition to have lots of money, but I am very concerned to make sure I can pay my bills. So that makes me frugal. And now, you know, Tracy, oh, we should give this to help this person. And my first thought, honestly, is like, well, okay, we, I'd love to do that, but I want to make sure that I have enough, that I keep enough for myself to have enough. Um, and I think that sometimes I miss out on God's miraculous provision, that being so frugal, I miss opportunities. I'm not, I'm not naturally very generous, at least with, with money. I have friends who I'm like, man, I envy them because it just, their first thought is like, oh, let me help with this person. Let me be generous or hospitable. And that's something I need to continue to work at. And I wonder if God says, you know, looks at me and says, you know, Jason, you're so busy scraping to make ends meet all on your own that you miss the provision I have for you. You miss out on God's miraculous provision. And I have friends who I think like, man, they are like completely irresponsible with money. And yet they have these amazing stories of how God has provided for them. And I look at my life and I think, well, God has been amazing and provided amazing things for me, but I still think sometimes that I, I, un, I undermine that. So, and I do want to say this just quickly about this. This is not something that we can do to manipulate God. So we can't, you know, give $10 hoping God will give us back a million, which is, you hear that in, in certain uh, Christian circles on TV especially. Um, this is not Jesus saying, you know, health and wealth gospel, that God's main goal is to make you rich and heal everything that bothers you. I think God wants us to be healthy. I think God wants us to have what we need. But I don't know that God's main goal is to make us rich. Um, and then this last part where Jesus says, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It's summarizing this text this whole morning that the way we treat others is generally how we will be treated. I don't want to push this too far um, because we can't earn our way and we can't uh, make God do things for us, but we can receive his grace and we want God to delight in us and, uh, as we are merciful and as we forgive others. I think about it this morning. These last two weeks have been some very simplified teachings, but as you can see, there's tons here for us to unpack. And if we would live this way, if we would grow in living this way even more faithfully as a church, it would be a blessing not only to our community and to the world around us, but it's exactly what the world needs right now. Amen.